Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Bucko Booth. My name is Benson Fector and I will be your host on the show this morning. I thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, if you're tuning in live, uh, thanks for getting that bro with us. Really do appreciate it. Uh, and if you're listening uh, to an archived version of this, thank you as well for tuning in. It means a lot to me. And we're just going to do a quick weekend review type thing. And wow. What a week it's been in Pirates baseball. The last time we talked to you guys, it was last Saturday, before the deadline. Pick up two new guys, Keone Kella, who we'll mention here in a second in our awards, and Chris Archer. Both of them debuted last night. I mean, it's been fantastic. So over the course of the last week, uh, we on that Saturday against the Mets, we won. That Sunday, we lost. We split against the Cubs, and we won yesterday against Cardinals, putting us at 3-2 and two since last time we talked. But here's the thing. Not many people are really focused on the record over the last week because we've been doing excellent, and now you add Kella and Archer to that, fantastic. I know everybody's probably going to want me to talk about Chris Archer's debut last night, and he, it should be talked about. It wasn't the best the first start from a pitcher on a new team is really just a reading. It's not a measure of how they're going to be. And Kella, he looks pretty good. Um, I'm in western New York. That's why I'm doing this early. also have to apologize about the audio quality not being as good. But So I couldn't see them. Uh, I heard of them on the radio, but they sounded good. So now we're uh, going to get into our weekly awards. Uh, our player of the week is Starling Marte. He's batting 286, 6 for 21. <clears throat> now, I know what you may be thinking. Why is he your player of the week? Well, here's the thing. The peripherals of a 286 average are not all that good, but what i like to mention is he's putting up solid at-bats. He had a very good game last night picking up three knocks, and he's very important piece back in that lineup that we need back in that lineup. That's why he is my player of the week. That is why he is my MVP of the week. We go to our pitcher of the week. I'm giving it to the new guy, number 35, Keone Kella. He pitched in last night, gave up two hits, struck out one. Um, from what I understand, he looked pretty good, and uh, Gregory Polanco saved his butt a little bit on that uh, throw out at home. But, yeah, I love what Kella was able to do, and I love what he's going to be able to do in the future. That back end of the bullpen is going to be so solid. Vasquez in the ninth, Crick in the eighth, Kella in the seventh. Then you can have Santana as, like, your number one fire hose, like last night when he came into the fifth to relieve Archer. And then you also have Richard Rodriguez out there, who is excellent himself. Then you throw Alex McRae, McRae into there. He pitched three solid innings the other night. What's he going to bring to the table? You throw Dovidus Navarowskis. Big back-end potential. If you can f- tap into that potential, you have a pretty special arm. High 90s, Lithuanian flamethrower coming at you. The bullpen is set. The bullpen is good. Thank you, Neil Huntington, for the moves you made this week for the city of Pittsburgh. And it showed last night with that crowd. 
Now I'm going to give you the rookie of the week. Uh, it is Colin Moran. He's batting 300 on the week, three RBIs, three for 10. Did pick up an RBI on that sack fly last night. And he's really the focus of our show today. He is in the title. Um, we'll, we'll get more into him uh, in a second. But he also takes home our gold glove of the week. Uh, 12 total chances, 8 assists, 4 putouts, 1,000 dinner percentage. Colin Moran, have yourself a week. Um, and that's why he's going to be the focus of our show today because of his importance to the team. We're going to be talking a little bit about his expectations, his performance, and his power. So, Colin Moran, he came over in the Garrett Cole trade as a swing changer who developed, tapped into his power in AAA a year ago. However, that power hasn't translated over to the big leagues so far. Perhaps Colin Moran had too high expectations entering this year, especially as being the centerpiece in the trade that sent Cole uh, to Houston. Moran had an excellent season in AAA in 2017, hitting for a 308 average, 373 OBP, and a 543 slugging. And tapping into the power that his size, 6'4 and 204 pounds, one would expect. The numbers are a bit inflated because of the PCL, but the year prior in the same league, Moran hit for a 259 average, 329 OBP, 368 slugging in 117 games. The thing that appeared to be interesting is that he changed his swing, allowing him to get a bit more under the ball and use his strength to drive the ball out of the park. That hasn't translated this year at the Major League level. Moran is slugging just 391. This is where expectations in reality come in. But the mathematical projections didn't match the expectations that were potentially set up for Moran. Focusing and putting too much emphasis on his 2017 performance. Here's Pakoda's projections for Moran among his current numbers and other numbers. So his 2018 projection is supposed to have 511 plate appearances, batting 251, a 315 OBP, 402 slugging, and hit 15 home runs. Up to date in 2018, he has 336 plate appearances. He's batting 268, a 336 OBP, 391 slugging, and eight home runs. 2018 rest of the season, he's projected to have 165 plate appearances, bat 255 with a 317 OBP, a 403 slugging, and add five home runs to that total. If you look at his 2018 current and add his projections to the rest of the season, here's what you get. You get a 501 plate appearances, a 263 average, 330 OBP, 395 slugging, and a total of 13 home runs. So Pakoda projected Moran to be below average as a hitter this season. His 251 uh, TAV, which is true, true average, is below the average 260. Every year, TAV is scaled to 260. His power wasn't projected to be all that much, just a 402 slugging and 15 home runs. Steamer, another projection system, had Moran at 259 average, 318 OEP, 398 slugging. And Zips had Moran at 259 average, 312 OEP, 402 slugging. None of the big three projected Moran to be anything besides a below average bat. 
so far this season, Moran has been a bit better than average by Tav, primarily because of the strikeout rate of 17.6% and lack of double plays compared to the league average player. If you want to call me average to a bit below, there's a 316 weighted on base average and 99 OPS+. plus. Have him as just that. It's a valid argument. But the big thing to take away here is that Pakoda and the other three projection systems don't take just one year and go forward. All his past data is relevant, and the swing change was only one year, coming with only one year in which he had power. Moran projects to finish this season slightly above league average in Tav, but a big chunk of that is the on-base ability that Moran has shown this year as he's projected to finish the year with a sub-400 slugging. That's the difference between fan expectations and hope the swing change is real, and a more mathematical look at what is to be expected from Moran. And for reference, his 70-degree percentile Pakoda projection was just 266 average, 332 OBP, 429 slugging, with a 263 TAV, an average hitter. This leads to performance and power, or lack thereof, in the case of Moran this season. So the chart that I was referencing has Moran's current stats at 268 average, 336 OBP, and a 391 slugging. But that doesn't do any good without context. The National League non-pitcher numbers are 255 average, 329 OBP, 417 slugging. So Moran is doing a better job of getting on base but the power is 26 points below the league. For a player whose value is tied to the bat, and at third base nonetheless, more power needs to be shown. Part of Moran's problem is hitting more ground balls than fly balls, something he didn't do when he was shown power in AAA last season. In 2017 in AAA, his ground ball to fly ball ratio was 0.84. He hit 33.7% ground balls, 40.2% fly balls. 2018, uh, so far, his ground ball to fly ball ratio is 1.33. 42.8% ground balls, 32.1% fly balls. For every fly ball the Pirates third baseman has hit, he has hit 1.33 ground balls. And 42.8% of his batted balls are hit on the ground. For a six-foot baseman who should have power, this isn't exciting. Looking at the StatCast data to get a peek behind some of the players' numbers behind the scene, i.e. how hard Moran is hitting the ball and the angle direction off the bat, the results for the player in the league are as follows. So the league, the median launch angle is 12.077 degrees, the mean is 11.684 degrees, the standard deviation being 27.538 degrees. Moran... His launch angle is 12.489 degrees. Uh, the mean first launch angle is 12.578 degrees. And his standard deviation is at 24.341. So Moran is hitting the ball at a higher degree than the league, having both a higher median launch angle and mean launch angle. The other thing that sticks out is that Moran is more consistent. The standard deviation of Moran's batted balls are 24.341 degrees, compared to the leagues of 27.538 degrees. More consistently isn't necessarily good or bad. 
being consistently around an optimal launch angle for your profile is good. Being consistently around an unoptimal launch angle for your profile is bad. Aaron Judge had a smaller standard deviation with a mean of, say, 5 degrees. But Moran has less dispersion and the angle is batted balls than the rest of the league. <clears throat> so more important than launch angle is how hard Moran hits the ball. Here's the league and Moran's exit velocity. So the league average is 90 flat, median. The mean is 87.866, and the standard deviation is 14.309. Moran's median is at 90.2. His mean is at 88.153, and the standard deviation for him is 11.638. So Moran, he hits the ball harder than the league mean and more consistently. Standard deviation of 11.638 compared to 14.309. But the difference in the average is just 0.287 miles per hour, which isn't significant. The median exit velocities are essentially equal as well. So Moran is hitting the ball as hard as the rest of the league, but more consistently. And he is doing so at a higher launch angle of 0.894 degrees. Again, which he is doing so more consistently. So why does the power lack behind in this 26 points below the National League long pitcher average? Part of the problem might be Moran is not pulling the ball enough. Here's the batted ball location of Moran's time in Triple A last season in Pittsburgh this year. So in 2017 in AAA, uh, Moran pulled the ball 43.8% of the time, hit the ball up the middle 30.7% of the time, and went oppo 25.5% of the time. In 2018 in Pittsburgh, he's pulling it 39.3% of the time, hitting up the middle 30.3% of the time, and going oppo 30.3% of the time. So last year, Moran pulled the ball around 44% of the time, but this year is pulling it 39% of the time. Up the middle is the same, so he's going more towards the opposite field than the pull side, despite it being more advantageous to pull the ball to right at PNC Park. So let's compare Moran to the league average of these numbers. So the league's ground ball to fly ball ratio is 1.26. They pull the ball 40.4% of the time, hit it up the middle 34.7% of the time, and go oppo 25% of the time. Moran's ground ball to fly ratio is 1.33. He pulls it 39.3% of the time, hits it up the middle 30.3% of the time, and goes oppo 30.3%. So Moran is hitting more ground balls per his fly balls compared to the league. And despite pulling the ball at a similar rate as the league, Moran is using the middle of the field less and is hitting the ball more towards the opposite field. Power will play more pull side than any other area on the field. But that's all of Moran and the league's batted ball types. Breaking it down by ground ball and fly ball have the following numbers. So the league, when they hit a ground ball, you have a 55.2% pull, 32.6% up the middle, and 12.2% oppo. So Moran's ground ball, when he puts in play on the ground, pulling it 55.8% of the time, hitting up the middle 30.8%, and going oppo 13.5%. So now let's take a look at the fly ball league average. On fly balls, league hits pulls it 23.7% of the time. Hits it up the middle 30. 
36.9% and goes oppo 39.4%. When Moran hits a fly ball, you see a 23.1% pull, 29.5% up the middle, and 47.4% oppo. So while Moran's ground ball profile is similar to that of the league, it's the fly ball profile that sticks out. Moran is pulling fly balls at the same rate as the league. But his fly balls to center are 7.4 percentage points less than the league, and 46.5% of his fly balls go to right field. So I have showed that PNC Park is friendly to left-handed power hitters, and Moran is not taking advantage of that fact. In 2017, PNC Park's home run factor for right-handed hitters was 89, or 11% harder for a right-hander to hit a home run at PNC compared to a neutral park. Moran is hitting his fly balls to left field, where it jettisons out to 410 feet in the notch. To tap into the power that Moran showed, he needs to start hitting the ball more mid to pull side. He's got the consistency with how hard he hits the ball and how he elevates the ball to utilize the Clemente wall for doubles and home runs. Instead, he's going the other way all while hitting more ground balls per fly ball than the non-pitcher average. You know, expectations are funny. Moran hasn't lived up to the expectations of being the centerpiece of the Garrett Cole trade, and he hasn't lived up the expectations fans have had, especially with the swing change and power he produced last year. However, he is exceeding the weighted mean preseason Pakoda projections. The one big issue is that Moran's value is tied to his bat as his fielding leaves lots to be desired, and his range moving left to right is minimal. His speed is also non-existent. So for Moran to be an average starter, his bat is going to need to be exceedingly above average. For now, his on-base ability is above average, and he doesn't strike out much. Just The power, however, has not played, and he has a sub-400 slugging and a 124 isolated power. Despite being around the average exit velocity, about a degree higher in the angle off the bat and the less dispersion, Moran has hit more ground balls per fly balls than the league. When Moran does elevate, it's usually to the opposite field, not fully taking advantage of the wall and right. For Moran to improve his offensive production and profile and to start tapping into his power, he'll need to start pulling fly balls more than he is now. He's still a useful player with a 1.1 warp, but he's far from a middle-of-the-order bat. And when your value is tied to being one, a new approach in terms of pulling might be in order. So just as a note, I got all my numbers from Baseball Prospectus, Fangraphs, and Baseball Savant. And that batted ball data from Fangraphs relies on stringer data, and there are and can be inconsistencies and inaccuracies in such data, especially when separating line drives and fly balls. Just as a note, uh, in case some of those numbers seem off. So, I want to talk a little bit about Elias Diaz. Okay, the dude deserves some credit. He's been a very valuable piece to this team, right? Elias Diaz, he came into spring training knowing that he was the backup catcher from the Pittsburgh Pirates. In 2017, he split time between AAA and Pittsburgh. But this year, the second catcher spot on the roster was all his. He has done more than most could have imagined. 
You know, while players like Starling Marte, Gregory Polanco, and Josh Bell have all been major offensive contributors this year, a guy like Diaz has possibly had more impact on the team's success than Francisco Cervelli. Diaz is considered Cervelli's backup. However, he has seen steady playing time and has been more consistent over the entire course of the season. In the first half of the year, he appeared in 54 games, making 39 starts. He finished in the top 10 of Major League catchers in F4 with 1.3 wins above replacement. He clubbed seven home runs, drove in 23, and scored 26 runs. His slash line was a 283 average, a 329 OVP, and a 465 slugging. <clears throat> and his WRC plus was 114. Those are numbers any team in MLB would love to have playing every day. Catcher is one of the hardest positions to fill in professional baseball. Finding a player that can handle an entire pitching staff, manage the opposing team's running game, and be serviceable offensively is few and far between, even once guys make it to the major league level. Diaz, he was given a boost, big boost, in 2016. When the Pirates traded former first-round pick Reese McGuire to the Toronto Blue Jays in the Francisco Liriano deal. At the time, it looked like a strange move due to McGuire's pedigree, but clearly, they liked Diaz more. He's been filling in for Cervelli, and Francisco Cervelli has already set a career mark in home runs and is on pace to set a career mark in RBIs, doubles, triples, and OBP and slugging. However, he has been hurt several times in 2018, including a lingering concussion that has landed him on the DL several times. It has also led to the Pirates working him out at first base. Every time Cervelli goes down, Diaz has been right there, ready to go. He's also been just as good as Cervelli. These crucial games in July that the Pirates have been playing in, Diaz has been the go-to backstop. Cervelli has either been hurt or just not playing well. This month, Cervelli has played just eight games and is batting 0-91, 200 OVP and a 136 slugging. Compared to Diaz, who has played in 17 games and is slashing a 284 average, a 324 OVP, and 448 slugging. Diaz doesn't just have the offensive numbers to carry the team, but he has the un quantifiable stats in his corner as well, understands the staff. Diaz came through the system catching the likes of Jameson Tyone, Chad Cole, Trevor Williams, Tyler Glass now even though he's on the Rays now, and Nick King and among a few others. When he came up for good in mid-August of 2017, Diaz had already caught the majority of the staff. And then his opportunity came to catch them almost daily in September. He had little pressure playing on a bad team with hopes for the future. Combine that experience and the time he had with them in spring training, you can tell Diaz is very comfortable with this staff. There is something to be said about a successful team and the rapport their catcher has with the pitching staff. And listen, he's not a gold glove winner, but he's not a liability. If there is a knock for Diaz this season, it's that his defense and pitch framing aren't the greatest, but above average or less. In 2018, according to Stat Corner, his Z ball percentage is at 14.4%, and his Z strike percentage is at 6.2. On average, he loses a strike call a game. His DRS is at minus 3 for the year, 
an average defender is zero, below average. A number one would like to see improved consistently. He does have seven errors this season, and five of them are throwing errors. While he also has one mishap in July, I'd assume this was a case of the yips, and he has since figured out whatever was causing the issue. In his first full season, Diaz has been quietly performing above average. Now with an F4 of 1.4, the 27-year-old is making a name for himself in Pittsburgh. If Cervelli is unable to continue on as an everyday catcher, Diaz will be there to step in, just like he has been so far this season. No matter what happens this season with the Pirates, they should feel comfortable moving Cervelli, different position or team, and riding with Diaz as the primary catcher. He's shown he can hang in the big leagues. So to close out the show today, I want to talk a little bit about Jung Ho Gon and a little bit of bad news out of his camp. And really, any thoughts of Jung Ho Gon helping the Pittsburgh Pirates in August or September are now on hold. Gong, who has been on the minor league disabled list with a wrist injury, is now having season-ending surgery on his left wrist, as first reported by Navair Sports in Korea. The recovery is about three months, which all but ends his comeback attempt this season. Per Korean reports, Pirates infielder Jung Ho Gon will undergo wrist surgery that will require around three months of recovery, effectively ending his 2018 season. Gong's off-the-field troubles were well-documented, but he got back into the country and was doing all the right things before the injury. He had some good moments in his minor league rehab, hitting a combined 310 average, 408 OBP, and a 517 slugging. With three homers and 16 RBIs and 16 games split between Bradenton and Indianapolis. Gone is under contract through next season at $5.5 million and will likely be in spring training with the Pirates. The big question is whether or not he can make the team after not now not seeing a major league pitch in now two-plus years. The best-case scenario now for Gong is that he likely competes for a bench job as a backup third baseman and shortstop. Hopefully he recovers 100%, and we will see what he can still do when the club reports to Bradenton in 2019. And you know, Jung Ho Gong is an interesting case. Before this season, people were writing articles the sad demise, the sad ending of Jung Ho Gong. But he got himself back in the country. And he worked himself out for about a month in Bradenton. And he worked hard in his rehab assignment, but then he hurt his wrist. And some reports are actually saying he could be back by mid-September. Maybe he could help with a playoff push then. But if we're looking forward to 2019 and what Jung Ho Gong can do for a team like us, he's owed $5.5 million. Neil Huntington is going to give him every single chance he, he has. Small market teams like the Pirates don't pay a guy $5.5 million and not give him an opportunity to make an opening day roster. Right. Here's the other thing. Jordy Mercer is a free agent at the end of this season. If Jordy decides to go elsewhere, what's stopping Jung Ho gone from being the everyday shortstop? If he can play like he played in 2015, that's the type of guy we need. A power hitting shortstop. Jay Hay has an option, so if he leaves, maybe he could play second base as well. 
there is going to be most likely a spot for him on that roster. He's going to have to compete for it, though. Guys like Kevin Newman, Kevin Kramer, they're knocking on the door. They are ready. They want to be the next big guys in Pittsburgh, that next wave of the talent. Will Jung-Ho gone stall that? We'll see. We'll see in Bradenton 2019. It's definitely going to be an interesting case, and we'll definitely talk a lot more about it as the season rolls on and we move into the offseason here. But it's very interesting. And I obviously personally want to see Jung-Ho gone succeed just to get his reputation back. And really for selfish reasons, because I want to see him do well on the Pirates. And that's just about all the time we have on the show today. We have about 60 seconds left. Again, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in, no matter how you're doing it, either live or archived. I appreciate it. Um, if you could, please give me and my coach, Jared, a follow on Instagram. I'm at, at Bucks Dugout, and Jared is at Pirates strong tonight we got the uh the Cardinals on tap again. Von Nova will be on the hill. He's been fantastic as of late going up against uh Adam Gomber. So we'll see how it goes. See if we can win the series. And hopefully the next time we're talking to you guys, maybe we can be in that second wild card position. You never know. We got the uh the Cardinals and the Rockies. Uh and then we go to San Francisco uh next Friday night. We'll see you all next Saturday. Hope you all have a great week. Until then, as always, let's go Bucks.